0: Hello, and welcome to Beyond Prospecting, the app podcast, featuring thought-provoking conversations with prospect development and fundraising experts. We hope you
1: enjoy today's episode.
0: Hello. Welcome to Certainly Uncertain, tips on navigating your unexpected new professional life. My name is Lori Hood Lawson, CEO and co-founder of WorkingPhilanthropy.com. I'm joined by Sarah Bernstein and Regina Alassan, who will both introduce themselves shortly. In this podcast, we will address a few common questions we have all received when it comes to owning and running your own prospect development business. But we also recommend reading Ian Wells's APRA Connections article entitled, Working as Prospect Development Consultant, Two Lies and One Half Truth. Regina, why don't you introduce yourself first, including how you came about owning your own business?
2: Thanks, Lori, and hello, APRA Universe. I'm Regina Alessand, owner of Research Pro, and as Central Ohio's leading prospect development partner, my firm is really all about data, donors, and dollars. So I've been in prospect management and fundraising in general for the last 20 years. I've worked in every size shop possible for all sorts of causes. I'm currently serving on the board for my local AFP chapter, but I've also served on the board for um, the Ohio, or APRA Ohio chapter, Ohio Prospect Research Network, and have been president of OPRN as well. So a few years ago, I decided that I really had enough of the daily racial microaggressions, and I should preface that by saying I'm an African-American woman. (laughs) Um, And so there is a a bit of intersectionality there um, and really just decided to take the advice of a friend to do do for myself what I do so well for others. Um, so decided to take greater control of my professional de- destiny, took a leap of faith, and launched Research Pro three years ago. Uh, Sarah, I know your path is
1: a little bit different, but possibly similar. <laughs> Thanks, Regina. Um, actually, my path is probably will probably sound familiar to a lot of people right now. Um, my organization um, went through an organizational restructure. They eliminated hundreds of jobs, including um, 20-some in advancement, including mine. Um, So I I had always had consulting on my five-year plan, but that layoff um, kind of accelerated my plans um, a good five years um <laughs> i I was lucky in that, um because it was it didn't happen now, um, it happened six years ago. i, I got a healthy severance package, um which gave me a bit of a bit of um, cushion time. So while I was applying for jobs, I really didn't have much hope of getting. I was also um, talking to a lot of consultants, both in and out of research, both in and out of nonprofits, um talking to a lot of fundraisers and all sorts of people that I knew. Um, just trying to get a sense of whether they thought I would be able to succeed as a as a um, prospect research consultant. Um, and then, as luck would have it, one of my former coworkers, who was working somewhere else um, by then, um, just called me up and said, "I I heard I was wondering if you had any free time. Would you be able to do some research for us?" And that's kind of how my business, uh, Philanthropy Data, was born um, in the summer of two thousand fourteen. So. Um, yeah, I, uh, I initially thought that I would be doing research mostly for local um, nonprofits, but I found that as my reputation has grown that um, I've got a lot of national co- um, clients too. So uh, Laurie, I know you have a, a third path into consulting and you've been doing it the longest. So why don't you talk, tell us a little bit about how you got here?
0: Thanks, Sarah. Yeah, when when I started working philanthropy.com, I had at that time over 10 years experience in our sector, but I ended up taking this leap when the company for which I had served as a manager of an outstanding group of fundraising consultants, uh, that company was acquired by another vendor in our sector. And that acquisition led to a rather unwelcome culture change. So I decided to leave, oddly enough, in what turned out to be the Great Recession (laughs) and launch my own business. And now here I am 12 years later. What a ride and wow. But it definitely came at a cost.
2: Yeah. And speaking of cost. One of the uh, main questions that I get from other prospect researchers and prospect development professionals is how do we know how much to charge for our services? And to be honest and completely transparent, I'm still figuring that out. Um, It's an evolving formula for me that sort of takes into account my own personal revenue needs and goals And I also consider like how much money I need to live, how much value my work provides to an organization, uh, what the organization's fundraising goals are, what their budget is, et cetera. And being the researcher that I am, (laughs) the data geek that I am, I figured out, I did some math and created this, came up with this formula to, to determine that my retainer fees are about five to seven percent of um, five percent, five to seven percent of an investment towards goal for organization. That's me as an outside consultant. If that same organization hires a professional researcher, that represents a seven to nine percent investment towards goal. So I just kind of come in like here. You can invest five to 7% or seven to 9%. And again, it's an evolving formula, still kind of figuring it out. Um, also trying to figure out how to provide and price new services as emerging clients come across my way. Sarah, I know you use a different type of model to figure out your costs.
1: Yeah, um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, yeah, I tend to charge um on a project or a deliverable type of basis so i've um sometimes i get asked to do a project like a a screening or or prospecting project for a client and so then i I try to figure out what that would be worth and i can go into that in a little bit more detail in a minute Um, but the most common thing i get is how much do you charge for a profile so um you know, I thought about doing it hourly, but I'll be honest, I hate tracking things. Um, and I hate, and, and being a data geek, I get into the weeds whenever I start tracking things. So then I feel like I need to track the five minutes I went to the bathroom, I, the, the three minutes it took me to switch over the laundry, um, all of those things. So I, I decided that hourly just wasn't going to work for me. Um, and what I found is that it's, um, I charge per per profile, for example, that, you know, some profiles will take, um, you know, days to complete. Others take, uh, you know, 15 minutes, 20 minutes. Uh, those people who have uh, either no internet footprint or, you know, reading their Wikipedia page really is enough. Um, I also have a menu of profile um, templates, so different organizations need things at a different scale. Um, but i found that that having a a profile charge for a particular client it it tends to average out so for everybody that takes me an hour or or so there's somebody else who takes me a day and a half and it, it just tends to average out to um to where i get a decent amount of money for the the whole thing um i i and i came up with those costs by kind of figuring out what i you know what was i making when i was employed um i Then took that number, multiplied it by like two and a half, because I also know that I have to pay for my subscriptions, I have to pay for myself to go to the Yapper conference, I have to, um, you know, I am my own IT department, I have to, um, I'm also my facilities department and my janitor, so I I need to pay for all this stuff, um, literal stuff like desks and and laptops and you know along with subscriptions and memberships and and all of that and all of that has to get factored into what I charge for things so um, that's why I, I kind of started by multiplying my prior earnings by two and a half um, but at the same time I also customize the profiles to what my clients um, actually need so so I don't want them paying anything more than what the work I'm delivering is, is worth. And I don't want them paying for, an, for work that they're never gonna use. So we try to come up with the best compromise. Um, as far as any project work, and, and every year or so I get something that's more accurately built out as a project, like a, a screening or prospecting project. And then I, t- I try to think about how long will it take me. I, I take that imaginary hourly rate. Um, and then I do some more magical math and multiply it by two because I tend to underestimate. I, I know myself well enough to know that I'm going to ast- underestimate how long it's going to take me to do something, so, and how many bumps in the road I'll get. So, um, so that's been um, that's been my my Lucy Goosey formula. And so far, very few clients have balked at, at paying what I've asked for. Um, and I have to ask if they did bulk. you know, is it something I really wanted to take on anyway? So, um, Lori, you've, uh, you've probably got some really well-documented ways of approaching this. So why don't you tell us um, how you do things?
0: Yeah, Sarah, you know, I had the advantage of coming from a company where I knew what the billable rate was for my group of consultants. So I I was familiar with the notion of billable utilization I mean that you you can you can google that term later listeners but you know billable utilization how much of your actual day is spent on doing something that you can invoice out to a client right which is different from uh what one might view their 8-hour workday in a a typical office setting right uh, you get interrupted 10,000 times, or you have to go to some internal meeting thats a, or you have to attend a birthday party <laughs> for your for your colleague. You know, there are different things that go on inside of a of an office, which I'm sure a lot of us are missing right now um, who are listening to this. But so I had that perspective, so I, I knew what the market would bear at that point because of the hourly rate of our consultants that I used to manage. Uh, but I also considered uh, at the beginning my own expenses. So uh, expenses that you just mentioned, Sarah and Regina, um, different expenses that that certainly you've taken into consideration. But also on top of that, business liability insurance that I was going to have to have, um, health insurance because for those of you who don't know, my husband is also an entrepreneur and that is exactly what the three of us are on this call right now on this podcast. Uh, So there were different considerations that I had. I didn't have the the spouse that had his own health insurance that could carry us through and back when I first started, there was not the Affordable Health Care Act. Ooh, let that sink in, people. Let that sink in. (laughs) So, uh, but the other considerations that I take into account now uh, include the TYPER project. I consult with uh, for-profit companies on their product offerings to our sector, and that um, billable rate is different from what I charge a nonprofit client. So it does come down to what's the deliverable. Uh, I do have an hourly rate, and we all are not supposed to discuss hourly rates because of fear of, of price fixing and collusion. So we, we won't go into that on this podcast, but there are calculators out there online that you can find about um, you know, how to determine my hourly rate, and they actually let you plug in, you know how many hours per year do you want to work? So that doesn't mean, you know, I only want to work six months out of a year. Uh, That means you're gonna get sick, you're probably going to take vacation, you're probably going to go to a doctor's appointment two or three times at least, right? So there, there are these considerations that I think at least for me back when I worked at FSU, I paid no mind to necessarily, but as the owner of your own business, you've got to pay yourself for that time, right? So these calculators will take into account, you know, how many hours do you want to work out of a year, but also how much do you pay for utilities? How much do you pay for your mortgage or your rent? How much do you pay for car insurance? You know, so it will take your expenses, how much you want to work, and it will deliver, well, this is how much you need to make per hour to live like you want to live. So you can factor in, you know, putting into your own retirement fund, because guess what? You're paying yourself. You're also paying into your retirement fund, right? So these are lots of different considerations. But uh, so I've come up with an hourly rate. I also have um, put forward a project rate, so Sarah, you mentioned screening, so if it's a screening project, then that's a specific project that has a defined begin and end date, and so in that case, I charge half up front, so half due at signing, and then the other half at the end of the project, which I think you do as well, and um, so far, you know, clients I have repeat clients so it must work okay for them, right?
1: So, speaking of clients, um I'm just wondering how how do you source um clients and and opportunities? I know um Laura you just said you have both nonprofit and for-profit clients and I think um We've all we've all got a variety of arrangements we figured out. So um, Regina, why don't you start by telling us uh, kind of what your approach has been?
2: Sure, um, so I know that my customer are nonprofit leaders. That's my customer base. The executive directors, CEO, VP of philanthropy, et cetera. Um, and those people generally are an AFP, and so that's where I choose to focus my marketing and my positioning and my presence. So uh, wherever um, nonprofit leadership is talking about fundraising or learning best practices, etc., cetera, that's where I wanna be. And for me, that's AFP. Um, AFP board membership also allows me to position myself as the trusted expert the partner, leader, etc. So when nonprofit leadership thinks about like, oh, you know, who can help me find donors? Regina is there as the easily accessible resource. Uh, And I should add that like my name is Regina Alison now, but my maiden name was Regina uh, Johnson. So I'm very much aware and I've been married for six years. So I'm very much aware that my professional network uh, my last name is still new to my professional network, and it's still a mouthful for my professional network. Um, so uh, a client told me recently, like, you know you've reached share status now. You're just Regina. Uh, and I'm okay with that. I embrace that. So you know if there if there's a conversation about donors and prospects, and Regina is the answer, that is, that's exactly what I am looking for. Um, but I would add that more recently, a lot of what I call solo leaders, um, so people that they are the CEO, they're the fundraiser, they're the accountant, et cetera, uh, nonprofits that have a team of one to three people, I'm finding that those types of organizations and leaders are outside of AFP, most often, but they're beginning to find me and reach out to me for help. Um, so now I'm thinking and exploring ways to pivot and reach leadership that is outside of AFP and also build customized services and packages, et cetera, to meet their unique needs. Um, but I would say for, you know, the AFP membership, AFP members, that's my bread and butter right now. Sarah, I know that you take a slightly
1: different approach. Yeah, and I think you could teach me a few things, too. Um, Yeah, I've actually found APRA to be um, more passively maybe than you're using AFP, but APRA has been um, probably either my first or second uh, most reliable source for clients. Um, My first... Um, source for clients actually were people who used to work at the university that I worked at. Um, there, There's a large, um, I I, has, I almost think like diaspora is the best word to describe it. So there's a diaspora in my region of former employers, employees of my former employer and those are all people that knew me as a researcher because I did research for them. So um, so I have gotten lots of calls from my former coworkers and I've done um, different kinds of projects for them. Um, when I first started out, I also did a lot of database type work. So I've done some some database um, audits and things like that for, for former coworkers uh, at the, by the organizations where they're working now. Um, and then second to that um, has been APRA. Um, people I've met through APRA or people who have referred me because they knew me through APRA. So um, so APRA has really widened my, my network. I do a lot of um, supplemental work. So a large team needs someone to help with event bios for for their award ceremony or um, or somebody's going on a maternity or a paternity leave. I've, I've covered both. Um, so I, I do that sort of work for, for larger teams. Um, for smaller teams that just might need a little bit of a, a little bit of help um on a very sporadic basis um, i'm i'm um, done a lot of work like that too um, so it's been you know i i guess i've been very passive about it um, when i first launched the business i i started out by doing a lot of blogging i had a lot to say and no one else and no one to listen to me so <laughs> so I i did a lot of blogging. Um I blogged for a vendor and I blogged for myself. Um I've as time has gone by I find myself with less to say and maybe it's because I have more to do. Um so I i haven't been blogging as much. So um and I will be honest I don't know that didn't doing any kind of blogging ever brought me any business but it felt like I was doing something productive. So um I did make myself walk up to my home office um, at nine o'clock every morning for a good year and a half, and so sometimes writing the blog was the only thing I had to do once I got up there. Um, so Lori, how do you find clients? Um, I'm especially interested to know how you've expanded your business to include um, for-profit as well as um, non-profit clients. Uh,
0: yeah, so In terms of finding clients, I definitely prefer word of mouth and using my network. Uh, So I depend a lot on former clients and current clients in terms of referrals. They know that I don't market my services in any very direct way. mostly because, I'll be honest, I'm very picky about what projects I take on. I'm very picky about the organizations that I'll I'll work for. So even for-profit clients, I'm very picky about, you know, what do you do and what are you going to do with what intelligence I give you, right? So in terms of securing for-profit clients, Sarah, you know, what what I really – you know my my background, although I started at FSU and Prospect Development, you know, I have the great master's in Library, Science, and Information Studies, like most of us, or a lot of us do. Um, but after I worked at FSU and I went to work for Penn that was acquired by Cantera, I, I was intimately involved in moving a desktop software to like you now know as software as a service, right? Everybody takes that for granted now, <laughs> but you know, it, it was some heavy lifting. And it, it took talking and working with engineers to translate, no, no, the client doesn't need to see that. They need to see that particular piece of information under this category on this page instead of that page or you're not linking right to this other information that came back from the screening, and that needs to be recursive matching that feeds back into this. So the, the writing a spec was never, writing a software spec was never exactly, you know, on my list of, of things to do um, in my career, but I ended up learning how to do that. So a lot of the, the for-profit work stems from understanding how to translate what our nonprofit organizations really need from data into an actual product or service. So that that's how that came about. Also, yes, of course, my husband being who he is. Um, other than word of mouth and networking, uh, I also, uh, Sarah and Regina, you both, I know you both speak, at conferences, um, you're involved in local chapters of AFP or APRA, uh, I absolutely believe that that is key to gaining the trust of clients. If clients see you as the expert in what they need, they will seek you out right, for something that they need you to do. So uh, I highly recommend speaking at conferences. I've been a guest lecturer at graduate school courses on information and philanthropy. Um, I've written blogs like both of you and articles. I also believe strongly in volunteering with our professional associations, not only in terms of giving back, but also expanding your, your circle of colleagues. Uh, which is very important when you have your own business. You you, you can be, you know, very narrow in your focus, but you, you have to have something outside of what you do for money, right? You have to be involved. And so I've been involved with, and I'm still involved with APRA and ASK. Um, I also have very uh, long-term clients, Right. So there are on uh, its own ongoing relationships which involves stewarding that relationship and uh, just because the project's over doesn't mean your relationship has ended right. Um, What else? Oh, you know, it it really is about broadening your network. Uh, But I also believe you shouldn't necessarily get involved with an association, just have something else to put on your LinkedIn profile or your website, right? I think it comes through if that's really not something that you're interested in, and that actually looks very negative in the long run, right? Uh, Speaking of which, it sounds like a good time for us to just leave our listeners with a, a good one simple tip so Regina what's the one tip you would give anyone just starting their own business in this sector what would you tell them
2: yeah absolutely know your numbers and know your market I'm um, so at the start of this about a year ago I took a business course and a marketing course Um, So really covering some of the basics about building out a business plan, discovering my market, and how to bring, you know, creating my brand, et cetera. And that learning really helped me focus on my numbers, whether or not that's revenue or expenses, et cetera, and who my market is and how to get in front of them. So know your numbers and know your market.
1: That's great advice, Regina. Um, My simple tip is to remember this is a business and you need to make a profit. Um, There's so many expenses that you need to factor in. And um, even if you're just doing one profile, one time for one client, and you're not really thinking about it as a business, you still need to to pay income taxes and and social security taxes on that. So so anytime we're doing um, this kind of work, at not as an employee. We need to, to keep in mind that it's a business and, and know your um, business sense. And some, one of these days, I will take a business class too. Um, feeding into that, I, I wanna recommend to people that you be both resilient and flexible. So you need to stand your ground and know when you need to not stand your ground. Um, know when you need to bend for your clients. Um, and finally, to know what your competitive advantage is, what makes you special, um, what makes you stand out. So I will throw it over to you now, Lori.
0: Oh, all of those are really great tips. You know, uh, I would have to think, you know, w- one simple tip, uh, which reflects back to both what you, Sarah, and Regina have said throughout, which is, you know, in know your worth and have that reflected in your rates. So what makes you special? What do you offer? And... How is that beneficial to your market and to your clients? Um, I think that this absolutely may mean that you have to walk away from certain prospective clients and that's okay. That's okay because sometimes you have to walk away in order to prosper elsewhere, which I think all three of us are are living proof of that, right? Um, the second just extra tip i just want to say to our listeners uh don't place your eggs all in one basket it can be very very advantageous in the beginning to have that one big huge client and that one big huge client project that that might be you know converting their crm to another crm yes i've done that several times now And that is a multi-month, sometimes multi-year project. Um, While you're busy working on that, you're leaving other opportunities on the table, right? Because you just don't have the time. But one day that will end. So you you have to make it rain while also doing the work. So it it can be a balancing act. so uh regina sarah i think we could go on and on and on and on about this topic thank you both for doing this with me and for our listeners if you have any questions for us after you hear this please feel free to reach out directly i'm offering regina and sarah in on that so you know yeah go ahead ask us some questions later but this was fun for everyone listening We thank you, and we wish you all the best in all of your future endeavors. Please stay safe and stay healthy. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Beyond Prospecting, the APRA podcast. To discover all that APRA has to offer, visit APRAhome.org. For links to content featured in this episode, check out the show notes. If you like the show and want to help others find us, please subscribe to and rate us on iTunes. Until next time.